Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hey, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Image Bearers Radio. As always, I am your host, Joe Amon, privileged to be the pastor at a wonderful congregation called Out of Ashes Ministries, based in DeRitter, Louisiana. And how are you guys doing? I trust you're all doing very well. I trust you had a wonderful Thanksgiving time with family and friends, uh, time of reflection, just to hang out, hopefully relax a little bit. Uh, eat a lot of good food, and just be thankful for uh, everything that Hashem is doing uh, in our lives and where He's leading us. Man, uh, there's just incredible. I hope sometime you take stock, maybe not just on Thanksgiving, but throughout the year, maybe during the Moedim or wherever it might be on Shabbat, hopefully sometime you take stock of where uh, you know you are. And uh, I know that many times when we think about where we are, we tend to think about where we're not, right? Well, we're here, but we'd rather be there, whatever. But I hope that you take some stock and actually, you know, not only are thankful uh, for where you are as opposed to where you have been or where you could be, right? Uh, But also uh, that you give yourself a little bit of credit. I mean, let's feel good, right? It's okay. It's okay. It's not arrogance or pride to feel good about yourself and about where you are because you have been obedient, and uh, you have, you have, you know, yeah, you've, you've messed up and you've done some stuff probably, you know, would like to go back and fix, but we've been obedient. And that's, you know, part of our partnership and working with Hashem is, uh, it's, I've said it before on Shabbat, salvation works, right? And we're proof of that. Uh, so it's great to have you guys around this week. Uh, I want to thank, as I usually do, Hebrew Nation uh, and all the guys and gals there for providing such an incredible platform for so many of us teachers uh, to get together and give you information, inspiration, entertainment, all those things. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And uh, just let me welcome all of you who are listening, maybe for the first time, and uh, say thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you don't know, uh, our ministry, Out of Ashes, uh, live streams our Shabbat services every week, uh, 10 o'clock Central, uh, with rare exception, unless we have like an odd feast day thing or... Uh, sometimes, you know, we just take a break and we go, Hey, everybody just stay home for Shabbat. Enjoy your time at home. You know, whatever. We all need a break. <laughs> so, uh, barring those special things, uh, which happen a couple of times a year, we live stream every Shabbat, our services, and, um, you can find those at our uh, website at outofashesministries.org, uh, or also on Facebook or YouTube. And Hey, like us on Facebook. Uh, I don't ever do this. I feel so cheesy doing this. But, uh, you know, like us on Facebook. Go to our YouTube channel, Out of Ashes Ministries. That's the one with the tree. Uh, Subscribe, like, comment, share it, blah, 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 all the things uh, that YouTubers are supposed to say uh, (laughs) they want you to do. Uh, And, yeah, just share it. For those of you who are longtime listeners or have listened to a few and thought, eh, it's not too bad, uh, thank you guys for coming back and for listening in. 
Uh, again, these uh, shows air live throughout the week, but then also are put up on the Hebrew Nation uh, archive uh, and to their podcast. Uh, on uh, You can get it all, all over the place. And so uh, check that out. Make sure that you do that. And uh, yeah, we are looking forward to Hanukkah for those of you that celebrate uh, Hanukkah, uh, whatever way your way of celebrating is. Uh, it's really an exciting time. Uh, besides the normal Moedim, I just love Hanukkah, and uh, you know it's 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 an awesome time with our family and our congregation and our kids and all those things. So a wonderful time, and I hope you are getting prepared uh, for the time of dedication. So before we get into this week's episode, uh, which is going to be a continuation of last week's episode, as we usually do, let's go to the Father in a brief blessing and prayer. Father, we bless you, our King our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, the one who has restored and continues to restore. And Father, as we talk about your word and about theology and about godly things, I pray that we are strengthened and encouraged and challenged to move out and restore the world around us. Through Yeshua, Messiah. So, like I said, this week's episode is going to be a continuation of last week's episode, just because I'm kind of stuck on this thing right now, so forgive me, but uh, I like to do subsequent episodes together, just keeping the train of thought and you know, just kind of keeping the thing going. Uh, and most of us need to hear something more than once, or we need to hear more about a thing uh, said a different way, maybe, or whatever, so... Uh, that's just one of the reasons why I do this. And if you caught our Shabbat service uh, from this past week, we talked about uh, basically what we talked about last week on on the podcast. Um, that we talked about for Shabbat, and so. Uh, but again, some new things were said, some things were said in a different way. So I encourage you to go and listen to that because this is super important, um, and I think it's really fundamental and elemental to understanding uh, the story of Scripture. Uh, the, the big overarching story, the narrative, as well as to understanding our place. Uh, and so I would encourage you to do that. Uh, again, as we live stream, we always cut out the teaching part uh, and post that to YouTube separately so that it's easier to view, you know, without the music and the prayers and all the things and uh, including, you know, the reading of the Parsha and all that. So um, make sure that you go and check that out. So we are in, of course, this week, we are in a new Parsha. Uh, we are in Vayetze, uh, but I want to kind of tie Vayetze back to Toldot and talk about this, again, this kind of idea of Ikar and Tafel, uh, which is the idea of Ikar being uh, the essence or what's, what's primary. And uh, I, I, I almost slip and say what's really important, uh, and that's something I'm trying to correct because Ikar is the essence, the primary thing. Tafel is the secondary thing, and this is about priorities, which is what we talked about last week, and about making sure that the main thing is the main thing. But see, even in saying it like that, it's kind of a misnomer, and this is where I'm talking about. We tend to, maybe some of us uh, in, our, in our backgrounds or whatever, we tend to grow up thinking kind of like, well, the spiritual is the, the most important. It's the essence, right? 
And that is true. It's the akar, the spiritual, the covenantal, the kingdom. But we, in doing that, we tend to downplay or sometimes even demonize the physical, the fleshly, right? And what we tried to talk about last week is in this this attitude between Yaakov and Esau, this Ikar and Tafel, and and why you know one was chosen over the other, and and all these things. It, it's it's this idea that we mentioned that there's some rabbinic commentary explanation that actually says that you know that Yitzhak had two blessings. Um, he had two different blessings that he was going to give. One for uh, Yaakov and one for Esau, and that the blessing for Yaakov was going to be one of uh, covenantal responsibility, the, the what we would call spiritual blessing, right? And the blessing of Esau was going to be uh, the the resource blessing, if you want to, if we could say it like that. And and the the point is that that yes, while spiritual covenant kingdom those things are ikar, they are primary. It does not mean that the other, the tafel, the secondary, is not important or less important. And when we're talking about the bechor, the bechorah, the firstborn blessing, this is, we're talking about the covenant and the resource, right? The, the spiritual covenant, and that's what's important. We're going to really focus on that today. Uh, and the, the resources to take care, to, to enable that thing to happen. And we understand that, right? Um, much of the way, this is much of the way that we approach giving here at OAM is, you know, if you followed any amount of time or if you're new and you haven't heard this before, um, I don't really teach tithing, uh, at all. Um, we, we encourage giving donations, offerings, those things, um, because the fundamental part is that most of us have been really hurt by, by the way give or tithing has been taught. It's not biblical. Uh, tithing is a temple thing, and so there's no temple, there's no priest, there's no tithe um, in the biblical sense. And so you can still tithe. In other words, that's just giving 10%. You can still make a tithe. It's not the tithe, the capital T-H-E tithe, right? And on all the spiritual things that have been tied together with that and, and, all, and all of those things, um, not to say that if you know don't tithe, yeah, if you feel like God is saying give 10%, then you better give 10%. And it's my belief and understanding that Hashem will bless you in accordance with your giving. That's just the way it works. So anyway, the way we approach it here at OAM is is basically this Ikar Tafel type of model. And that is to say, you know, this last Shabbat, for instance, um, we had a cool front moving through. Uh, it was raining. It was nasty outside. And we sit in this, not huge, but we sit in this really nice beautiful building that's comfortable. We have air conditioning in the summer. We have heat in the winter. We have a strong roof. We have place, you know, we have indoor plumbing facilities, <laughs> restrooms. I mean, we just have so many good things, right? And so comfortable and it's so nice. And we have land, the kids can play. I mean, and the bottom line is those things are secondary they are wonderful and they are necessary, but they are secondary to the essence. The essence is that we have services together, we fellowship, we pray together, we study Torah together, right? We worship together. All those things, that is primary. The building, the, you know, the, the amenities, 
the accommodations, all of that is secondary. And you might say, well, it's not necessary. You could meet anywhere. Yeah, we could. I mean, we could meet out in, in the park under the pavilion, you know, whatever. Um, but in reality, how many times is that really actuated, right? And how many times is that really actually the case? Yes, we hear testimonies in, you know, foreign countries, third world countries, oppression, all those things. That's different. But for here, this is what we are. This is what it is. And it, even though it's secondary, it doesn't mean that it's not important, right? You have a, a, a summer day or, you know, a Shabbat here in South Louisiana where it's 98% humidity and or 100% humidity with no rain. And it is, you know, 115 degrees outside. Um, it, it's, it gets to where secondary doesn't mean un, unimportant, right? And so what, where we went last week is kind of this understanding of moving that over to uh, kind of some of the Pauline thought and some of the thoughts in the New Testament where Paul is dealing with uh, the flesh, right? And we, some of us, many of us, I would venture to say, have gotten a, a really negative and toxic uh, you know, attitude towards ourselves, uh, towards quote unquote being in the flesh, um, versus being in the spirit, right? And we we have this this battle against ourselves where we fight for the spiritual things, and we neglect, we crucify the flesh, right? That's a phrase we all understand. And I really see this and and Paul's argument to bring some balance to it. As the same idea between Yaakov and Esau, Yaakov and Esau were intended to work together for the covenant, one with the, the scepter, so to speak, that we'll hear about later in Bereshit, the scepter of Judah, right, kingship and priestly, you know, uh, role, uh, the, you know, the Leviim and, and that, that kind of role, the covenant protector, which is both king and priest in their own independent, in individual ways, but also the, the resource management, right? The, the other tribes that were, were blessed with commerce and capital and, you know, all those kinds of things that take, it takes all that for a nation to run and for a kingdom to run and for the capital T-H-E kingdom to run. And in the same way, we ourselves, we need to make sure that we see ourselves and each other in more of a healthy and balanced way. That being that the, our commitment to Hashem, our holiness, righteousness, and justice, all those things are primary. They are ikar. However, we need our flesh. We need our bodies. We need you know, our, who we are in order to make those things happen. We made the point uh, last week that you know, all of the mitzvot, the commandments, are all physical. They are physical commandments. And the, you know, there, there's, a, there's a good reason for that is because we are to take the heavenly, the spiritual, the wisdom from the throne room of Hashem. And through our physical mitzvot, our physical doing of the commandments, it's not mundane or it shouldn't be mundane. We are actually manifesting heavenly wisdom and heavenly kingdom and heavenly ethic into this terrestrial world. And so we need both. Now, we should not be ruled by the flesh, Right. And what that means is that the, the secondary thing becomes primary. And that's the case that we saw with Yaakov and Esau. The secondary thing for Esau became what was important. And so that's the battle that we're having. It's a battle of priorities, not that one is good and one is bad. It's a battle of priorities. And if we, if we let the flesh rule, if we let that part become a car, become the primary, 
then we see what happens. What happens is what happened with Esau, right? We will play the world's game in the state that it is on its own terms. So I want to talk more about Yaakov this week because uh, there is some – there is, of course, the, the vision that we have in Vayetze uh, where he does the stones, and we'll read that in a minute. Um, and, and he, you know, he has the, sees the ladder or, you know, we'll talk about that and the idea, uh, of, of what this means. And then we're going to finish up, uh, at the end of the second segment with how this relates to us and how we should be encouraged to do so. So I want to begin in the beginning. Um, we, and we, we've done this over and over, almost ad nauseum of it's, we should never, I hope you never get tired of it. I don't ever get tired of talking about it. Um, we, we have to remember that the whole uh, ideal of the scripture starts in the beginning of Bereshit, right? In the garden, in Gan Eden. We have to remember that that is the point. That is the jumping off place. That's the, that's the definition that defines, you know, everything from there through the rest of the pages of all of scripture, right? And that the Bible is one huge circle. Read the end of Revelation and you will see that it looks just like the beginning of Bereshit, of Genesis, of the garden. And so the whole story is the is this big, huge circle of getting humanity and creation back to Gan Eden. But in that circle, there are smaller circles of humanity's attempt to partner with God to get us back to that. It goes up and it does well sometimes and then it fails and it does well and then it falls and it start and we start over and over in every generation with the patriarchs and we'll see that. And so I want to look at a, a, a verse that most of you will know from Parsha Toldot. Uh, this is in Bereshit 26 and it is verse 5 and most of you will know this uh, but I actually want to read um, from verse 2. So this is uh, Bereshit Genesis chapter 26 verse 2. It says, Hashem appeared to him, Avraham, and said, do not descend to Egypt, dwell in the land that I shall indicate to you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your offspring will I give all these lands and establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I'm sorry, he's talking to Yitzhak. Talking to Yitzhak. Verse 4, I will increase your offspring like the stars of the heavens. I will give your offspring all these lands. And all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your offspring. Then verse 5, here's the kicker. Here's the, the key verse. Because Avraham obeyed my voice and observed my safeguards, my commandments, my decrees, and my Torahs. Now, most of us know this verse. You've heard this verse. You've probably heard a bunch of teachings on it, maybe. And what I want to kind of bring this bring bring light or, or, or talk about this and clarify this in the way that we're talking about it is that what are we talking about here? What did Abraham keep? Um, what what does that mean? And, and and how does that move forward, right? So in again, it, this is I want to really want to define this by the way we are talking about it. Doesn't mean that I have the only view. It doesn't mean that this view is the right view. This is this is a slice of of the views out there. This is my lens and I, I want, that's how I want to make sure I define it so that there's no confusion. So when we talk about this, we have talked about in our uh, Genesis series, which if you haven't checked that out, I would encourage you to please do so and, and share that. You'll get a lot out of it. Uh, what we have 
talked about is looking at things through a Gan Eden lens, through a temple lens, right? And so what we what we have is we have Gan Eden, right? And then we have the cleansing of the earth with uh, the story of Noah and the flood. And then we have introduced Avraham. Of course, you got a lot of stuff in the middle. I'm making huge jumps, but you have the story of Avram, Avraham, right? That is is uh, is is introduced to us. And Avraham is this guy that that Hashem calls, in my opinion, to become a new Adam. And it is Avraham's job to begin the process of recreating Gan Eden, beginning with him, his family, the nation, and then the entire cre- and all of creation. And so what we have here, when, when it talks about Avraham obeyed my voice, heard my voice, observed my safeguards, my commandments, my decrees, and my Torahs, well, what does that look like? Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that Abraham did not have the Torah in the state that we have it now. Number one, not only was it not written down for him or at all, however, the laws probably didn't look just like they do in the Torah at Sinai. This is obvious. Now, varying, you know, there may be discrepancies and people may disagree, and that's fine. But what we have is this, this guy, Abraham, who is listening after God, and he is doing the, what we would call the proto-Torah. Now, when I say the Torah probably looked different, maybe the laws looked a little different, why can I say, how can I say that? Is God divided against himself? No, there's a simple fix to that. The bottom line is that, and the truth is that Abraham was in a different situation. Abraham was in a different time, uh, different situation, different culture, context. His, his situation was completely different. And we know that the, the Torah, the Sinai Torah, was very much geared towards a, a, uh, a, you know, a, a criticism and a contrast against Egypt from where they had come for the last several generations, 400 years, right? That is the context of the Torah given at Sinai that we know of today. But Abraham's life and context didn't quite look like that. It wasn't the same. And Abraham was called in some ways to do something a little different than Israel was called to do. Israel was called to return to what Abraham began, right? We know this. So these, what I want you to, the connection I want you to start making and the, the way I want you to start seeing this, if you, if you are interested and you like the way that, you know, that we talk about this, is what, is what is Abraham doing? We always find him, when he meets with Hashem, we always find him on mountaintops, under trees, right, with altars, etc., making offerings, praying, all these things. That is bringing Gan Eden forward. That's Abraham's way, or the text's way of talking about Abraham, and you are supposed to, as a good reader, you are supposed to see Avraham recreating Eden. That's what's supposed to be going off in your mind. Now, many of you may not see that. Hopefully, this will bring some light and kind of help help you to help get you in that mode, kind of kickstart your brain into that way of thinking about it. But Abraham is doing that. So, this sacred space idea, recreating Eden, sacred space temple idea, is one and the same. With Avraham listening to the voice of Hashem and keeping the commandments, 
the safeguards, you know, the, the, the judgments, the Torah, it, that's one and the same. Those things are not separate. And because uh, of sometimes the way we think about this or have been taught to think about this, we view the temple as separate from the Torah somehow. And that just blows my mind. You, you cannot, you cannot separate the temple from the Torah. And when you do, the Torah falls apart because the temple is the central hub of all of the Torah. It is the thing that connects Shabbat, food law. We've talked about this before. It's the hub that holds the Torah together and puts it in context. And so in the second segment, we're going to talk about Jacob's vision and talk a little bit about how this brings it forward. Then we're going to get to some application at the end. So don't go away. We'll be right back just after the break. guys welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio so uh let us now get into parsha vayetze and let us actually read about what goes on in the vision of uh of yaakov and uh and what's happening here and talk about some different ways of understanding um exactly what's going on so we are in um bereshit and this is chapter 28 and we are in verse 10 and so it says, Yaakov departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took the stones of the place, which he arranged around his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamt and behold, a ladder was set earthward and its top reached heavenward. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Hashem was standing over him, and he said, I am Hashem, God of Abraham, your father, and God of Yitzhak. The ground on which you are lying, to you I will give it and your descendants. Your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out powerfully westward, eastward, northward, and southward, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and by your offspring. Behold, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this soil, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have spoken about you. Okay, so here, of course, it's obvious, right, that the promises are similar to the promises we read for Yitzhak, right? Now, there's been a lot to made about in some circles about, well, Yitzhak gets the stars of the sky, and Yaakov gets the dust of the earth, and, you know, what is that about and why is that? And, and there's been a lot of, you know, pulling those apart and, and, you know, showing the differences and what they mean and all that. And what I would like to just simply propose uh, is that maybe it just is a matter of where they were, which is why Hashem spoke to them in this way. Um, Yitzhak, you know, gets the, the, the blessing or gets the, the promise of the blessing. Uh, and then we find, and then it's the stars of the sky. It's wonderful. And then we find Yaakov here. And he is where? He is in Beit El. He's in this place. Um, but what is he doing? He's sleeping in the dirt, right? <laughs> he's sleeping on the ground. 
And so Hashem says, oh, look, I'll use what's right next to you. I'll, I'll use what you're, you know, what's all around you and very abundant. And, and gives a blessing in that way. It's very similar, um, in my opinion, to the vision that Peter has, right? Peter, rise up, kill and eat, right? All these animals in the, in the blanket, right? Why does God give him a food vision when he really wants to talk about people? Why is that the case? Well, if you read the very beginning of that, it says that Peter was very hungry. He was up praying. He was very hungry. And so Hashem has this really cool way of speaking to us by means of things that we can readily relate to. The, the, the deal is that, that God is not trying to play a cosmic game of Marco Polo with us, Right? And it's not, his words are not mysterious. His, why would God give you a riddle? Because he, the ultimate truth is that God wants you to get what he's saying, right? This is a partnership. This is not a game to Hashem. He wants you to understand what he's saying. And so in order to do that, because like the kingdom is at stake, this is a partnership. We're, we're hopefully moving forward in every generation, in every day of our own lives. He wants you to understand. Do you speak to your kids in riddles? Like, no, I just pick up your shoes, right? <laughs> Put your clothes in the, in the dirty clothes hamper, right? We don't speak to them in riddles. We want them to understand exactly what we're saying. And when you're trying to teach your children, there's a good chance to use an illustration. You will use whatever is nearby, whatever's close to them. If your kids are into gaming, you use gaming. If your kids are into sports, you use sports. If you're whatever, music, whatever it is, you'll use analogy that they understand, something that's very familiar to them. Well, for Peter, he was hungry or hangry, you might even say. And so God said, I'll use food and because it invokes your whole being. With Yitzhak, it was stars. He was probably, who knows where he was, out in the pasture somewhere, whatever, out in the field where it's just stars. Yaakov is sleeping on the dirt in this place. And so he goes, look at the dust of the earth. I'll make your descendants like the dust of the earth. See, there's a simple way around that or to explain that. And I think it really, it, it takes away some of the like mystery of, oh, what is it? Why, you know, what's happening here? And just goes like, no, God is doing what God does. He's speaking very plainly because he wants, he doesn't want this to be a mystery to Yitzhak or Yaakov. And I don't think he wants it to be a mystery to us. He wants us to understand what's going on. That's the beauty of the wisdom of Hashem. So it says that he laid, placed some stones around his head, this particular translation says, and he lay down and he dreamt the dream and it was a ladder. Now, this idea of a ladder, you see this in artwork, you see it all over the depictions and illustrations of, you know, of this, this ladder. And I didn't know this and never, never had really understood this until a few, um, a few years ago. And then I saw a, it reminded me, and I saw a, a post um, by one of my friends, uh, and actually my Hebrew teacher, Yoel Halevi, and uh, he, he posted about this, and I thought it was so good. It, it reminded me of this, uh, of this thing. And so this is, this is from his post. He says, um, this is from the Facebook page, Hebrew in Israel, right? It says, there is an argument that Yaakov saw a staircase and not a ladder in Bereshit 28.12. The Hebrew states, Yaakov saw a sulam, 
which in many translations render as ladder. Some have argued that the correct translation should be staircases or stairway and not ladder. Okay? Uh, these translations point to the Akkadian word, similtum. Uh, I'm not pronouncing that right, I'm sure. Uh, which is used in many sources to mean staircase. Right? This interpretation can also mean that the angels were going up and down the stairs at the same time, because a staircase can be used for both actions if wide enough, while a ladder cannot. Now, so just picture this. So whatever you, whatever picture you have in your mind of this, the dream and what's going on, right? If you have a ladder, try to mentally get that ladder out, right? Deconstruct the ladder, put it away somewhere, um, and instead picture a staircase, or a stairway. Now, the problem is that stairway has to go some way, somewhere, right? Um, it's a stairway to heaven. <laughs> Sorry. I would sing for you, but I don't, I'm not up to it. <laughs> uh, okay, so I should have my guitar. I play the intro. Uh, anyway, so th- there's a stairway that is on the earth all the way to heaven. Now, w- why does that matter? Big deal. What's the, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. Uh, Yoel goes on to say, this has also led to an interpretation that the staircase was a ziggurat, which represented a gate to heaven. And then he has some pictures there, which are really cool, uh, from the Bible Lands Museum in Jerusalem uh, that show uh, recreations and I think actually an old photograph, yeah, of a a, a ziggurat that was being uh, excavated, which is incredible. Now, we've touched on this before again in our Genesis series, that these ziggurats were man-made, basically mountains, you know, small, but sometimes not. Um, The great example we have is uh, the story of Bavel, where they're in the plains of Shinar, right? Well, if you have a plain, you don't have any mountains. The big problem with that is that when in that culture, in that, you know, in the ancient cultures, when you wanted to meet with God, you had to go up a mountain, we saw that with Abraham. We talked about it. We've talked about uh, Gen- uh, of Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, as a mountaintop, right? Well, if you're in the plains of Shinar or some, some the valley of Shinar, if you're in the plains of Shinar, there ain't no mountains. Well, then what do you do? Well, you build one, and it's called a ziggurat. Now, the ziggurat is not the temple. The ziggurat is the structure that, el- that is elevated. It's like the mountain, right? On top of the ziggurat, there is a temple. And in these, if you go to these... Um, if you go to Hebrew and Israel and you check out those pictures, you can see that. on the You zoom in on the very top of the ziggurat, you can see this little columned building or whatever it looks like. And that's the temple on top. So there's, again, this is, this is an incredible way of Hashem using what's familiar to us, to humanity, to give us these profound promises and lessons, right? And so what is, what is the lesson here? Well, the, or what the, the communication here is that, hey, this place is where you meet with God. It's a temple. This place is a temple. It's a sacred space. Ah. So it's not just some place where there's a ladder, some random place with some random ladder with some angels, and they're bringing the promises. No, 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 no. All the charismatic hooey, no, this is a temple. This is a place where the heavens are opened. That's what happens at the top of a ziggurat. You have the temple, and the temple is the place where heaven and earth meet, right? It's a gateway, a doorway to the heavens. 
beautiful. And so it's Hashem's way of speaking in Yaakov's language in a way he understands. He doesn't see a ladder. He sees a ziggurat. He sees a temple. And he goes, oh, well, this is Beit El. This is the house of God. Because what is a temple? Hello. See, when we bring all this culture and context together, see how things make sense? Isn't it beautiful? And so so what is this about? Well, we saw Avraham meeting with God on top of mountains, under trees, right? With altars and prayer and offerings. And he spoke with God there because the mountaintop is the gateway to heaven. Same as the Garden of Eden, right? And so can you see now as we start to kind of stitch this thread through, can you kind of see now, and listen, a lot of this comes from the, the Genesis series, which I talked about. So this, a lot of this you will have heard already or it will make, it will sound like something you've heard already. If you haven't listened to it, please, please go and listen to the Genesis series. It is, it's profound. Not because I taught it. I pulled a lot of great information together uh, to teach it. And so what is, with this thread here of temple, sacred space, but not even just about the temple building itself, it's the, the ethic, it's the story, it's the personification, the temple is, of the Garden of Eden. And we've talked about this before as well. You know, the curtains, one of the curtains, the parochet in the uh, temple going from the altar um, in the Azurah, going from the altar into the holy place. It is, it's basically the Milky Way. It's, it's these, you know, this cosmic, you know, kind of thing. And so with the constellations, and, or is that the second curtain? Oh, somebody's going to correct me. Anyway, it may be the curtain going in from the holy place to the holy of holies. In, in either case, you have this beautiful, there's, you know, this beautiful constellation kind of, it's the heavens. And so that just fits in again, kind of to all these different, you know, the motifs and stuff that we, these themes that we see. And so it's about the Garden of Eden. It's about recreating the Garden of Eden in the rest of the world. Now, when we talk about Jacob and Esau, when we talk about, let's go before that, when we talk about Isaac and Ishmael, right? When we, let's, go, let's go back from there. When we talk about Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel, right? Later, let's go later than that. When we talk, oh, no, let's go in the middle. When we talk about Noah and his three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Yafet. When we talk about uh, then Joseph, we talk about Joseph. We have all of these, all of these examples are all of a younger son, which rose to the top and became the one who got the Bechorah, the firstborn blessing, right? And what is that firstborn blessing? Again, the Ikar, the primary blessing is that of kingdom, is that a carrot, you are a, you are the one who preserves the covenant. And now I, we could do a whole other episode on all exactly what that means and why that's important. Let me just say that the verse we read in, in Bereshit 25, uh, 26, 5 about Abraham keeping all the mitzvot, etc. that verse, the idea of the Garden of Eden and the covenant, all those things are, are, are happening simultaneously. They are all the same thing. Please understand this. Please understand this. They are, they are talking about manifested restoration. They are, they're talking about the recreation of the world, returning to Eden. They're all talking about it in different ways, and they're playing different parts. But it's all the same thing. They all are embodying and illustrating the same thing. 
restoration, and returning to the garden state. That is the, that's the picture we're looking at. The covenant is the agreement for God to use this family to do that. This is going to be, they're going to be the tip of the spear in making that happen. So as the Behor, as the firstborn, or as the one who's receiving the Behorah, the firstborn blessing, even if you're not the firstborn, which doesn't happen, when you, when you receive that blessing, that is, that is the, literally, that is the most important thing you could ever, you, that, it's, the, it's, the element, it's the elemental part of life. It's the essential part of life that you get the blessing, you get the privilege, the responsibility, the the accountability. You get the the biggest job in the world, even though you don't know how much of the world there is, and that is to carry on the commitment and the partnership to preserve and to grow the partnership between you and the King of of all creation, to be His tip of the spear in bringing complete redemption. And so this is why we have these younger sons always rising to the top. In every one of those situations, it is the story of Jacob and Esau. The story of Jacob and Esau, we're using that as kind of the pivotal one, but it's all, you could say it's all the story of Cain and Abel, or that Cain and Abel is a story of Jacob and Esau. Either way, Jacob, uh, Cain and Abel, right? Shem, Ham, and Yaphet. Uh, Isaac and Ishmael. Yaakov and Esau, Joseph, Judah, and the rest of their brothers. The nation of Israel and the other nations, right? Over and over, how many, does, how many times does God say like, hey, you guys aren't the smartest or the biggest, but I'm going to choose you, right? It's the same idea, this younger brother, this smaller, weaker nation being risen, being brought up. Why, 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 why is there always this flip? And the sages, and I like this explanation, say, well, you know, it could be for a few different reasons, but one of the reasons that they, they discuss is that, th- that the fathers see in these sons a heightened intellect and stewardship, ability to steward and responsibility towards the covenant, towards the blessing, and that that's what it's all about, right? And these sons, and we can see it when we read the text, right? Abel brings what's pleasing to Hashem. Yeah, Shem protects his father's dignity. That's a that's a covenant thing, right? It's a kingdom thing. Yitzhak, right? We see it in all of these stories. And there's a lot of other things that go into this. We talked about during Shabbat and last week on on IBR, but a lot of other things that go into this. And when we're talking about our job, then get, let's get down to the kind of the applicability part of this. What do we take from this now that we understand this stuff? Well, great. That's great. You know, this is a lot of neat information. You know, hopefully it's, it's neat information to you. Um, hopefully it's neat information, but what, what's, the, what's the point then? What, why does it matter? The problem is twofold. Well, I'm sure there's more folds than that, but I'm going to talk about a twofold problem. The biggest problem that I see in our walk, especially in the Torah community, but in humanity at large, especially in the last several years, is a problem of identity. I mean, you have young junior high kids 
that are deciding that they're cats and dogs. Now, you could say that's a psychiatric illness. If you're on the other side of the spectrum, you could say that's their right to express themselves, whatever. Ultimately, it's, a, it's an identity problem. The, the, at the base of it, it's an identity problem. You'll not convince me otherwise. I'm sorry. I am fully convinced that's an identity problem. Men who feel like women and women who feel like men and men and women who feel like something else that we don't even know. They don't even know what it is. It's just something else. That's, this is all wrapped up in identity. And those are extreme cases, but let's talk about us. We that have come from a Protestant or a Christian upbringing and come into this Hebraic walk, we really, really, really struggle with identity. We really do. And it works itself out in a lot of ways. Some good, some helpful, some maybe not so helpful and not so good. We have people who, you know, come into the Torah and the first few things that they learn or maybe about the name or the calendar or whatever, and then that's it. That's all they, they become, you know, people who go by this name and follow this calendar, and that's it. And they never move past it. And they don't grow, and they don't interface with other opinions and other believers, except to argue. And then they become segregated and, and alone and kind of pushed off in, you know, in their own corner. And they just never mature past that. And they found their identity. The problem is that identity can be really toxic. Or maybe you come in and you just go like, I just want to be Jewish at all costs. Well, but you're not. So figure it out, right? Keep pushing, keep asking questions, keep wrestling, find your place. It's easy to want to become Jewish, guys and gals, and I get that. I have struggled with that for years. Just go like, I, I, I hate the wrestling. I hate the fighting. I hate, I hate, you know, I hate being in a in a place where my views aren't understood and accepted, and you know, and it's so hard to you know eat right and to you know do whatever. I'm, it's just if I would if I could just be Jewish, then the problem with that is when that solution to convert to Judaism. When that solution is only a pressure release valve, what do I mean by that? Because we have so much pressure and so much stress because it's hard to, to walk by the commandments when you don't have a large community, when you're not a part of a community, when your town, your, you know, your, your city, whatever, uh, you're one of the only ones there, or maybe a small group of you doing this, it's hard. And so to relieve that and the struggle of, of really knowing what you are and what you believe. Well, I'm not them, but I'm not them. I'm not Baptist, but I'm not Jewish. I'm not Pentecostal, but I'm not Jewish. I'm not whatever. That limbo, that limbi, limbiotic state is, is hard. It produces a lot of stress. So many times, and I'm not saying all the time, many times the desire to convert to Judaism is just simply so that someone can hand you a predefined identity. You are now this. You are now Jewish. And because they are who they are, and because they've had so many years of being sticking to who they are and being faithful, they've worked it all out. No matter what issue you have in life, they have an answer. And that sounds derogatory. It's not. It's, it's awesome. But they have an answer. If you want to be 
Jewish, then here's how you, this is your identity, prepackaged, here you go. Not to say that all Jews are, you know, automatons. If you know more than one Jew, you know that is absolutely not the case. But it, that sense of identity, that sense of belonging, that sense of, of, of definition of who you are, where you came from, where you're going, what you do in between point A and point B and the journey that it takes, many times can just simply be an effort for somebody to give you an identity because you don't want to work for it. The second fold of the two-fold fold part, as I wrap this up, is most of us, or many of us, believe that you got saved so you could go to heaven. You believe, oh, you believe you got saved so you could go to heaven? You believe that the Messiah drew you into the kingdom, restored your soul, made you a part of, his, of God's people so that you could go to heaven? What we don't realize is that when, and and this is a huge identity thing, guys, get this in your head. When you were brought into the kingdom, you were brought into the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You become one of those who is given responsibility and given the job, the blessing of expanding and restoring the earth, the sacred space. Gun Aiden, all these things we've talked about. You you think you just got saved to go to heaven? As we say in Cajun French, Paul bet, poor thing. You are now a partner with the patriarchs. So I hope you can sit on this this week. I love you all. Until next week, shalom, shalom. Shalom.